I don't want to preach about what I'm about to preach about. This has been a traumatic week for those of us who have been relatively unfamiliar with this topic and then we try to understand why we've been relatively unfamiliar. All week long, well, in the, in the, for three days of the week, I'm sorry, we had 451 delegates from 34 states convene here, made up of survivors of sexual slavery, made up of specialty ministries that set the captives free, but mostly church folks, because the church is trying to figure out what it should do to fulfill Jesus' job description in Luke 4. He came to proclaim release to the captives. And to set at liberty, in some of your versions, it says literally those who are bruised and to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. We want to proclaim this year to be the favorable year of the Lord. And we know if that was Jesus' job description, that's our job description because we follow him. And so traumatized or not, here we go. Last week, I talked to you about hell. And I said, essentially, hell is isolation. And I emphasized that many times hell is self-isolation. But there are times when you are just as isolated if you've been caught up in a cultural stronghold. You know what a stronghold is, right? A stronghold is a repetitive sin that has become a habit that has all of the power of keeping you prisoner. There are personal strongholds and there are cultural strongholds. And sexual exploitation is a cultural stronghold in our nation right now. It's very tricky. And so I want to teach you for a few minutes tonight about how this goes down. First of all, let me read from the book of James. The book of James says this, <clears throat> chapter one, blessed is the man and woman who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say that he is tempted. Watch this. When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. First of all, I want you to see this before we go on. Many times people are willing to accuse God, not of the temptation directly, but of the temptation indirectly. Have you ever heard someone say, I can't help it, that's just how he made me. And if he made me like this, and he gave me these appetites, 
he must not be too disappointed if I follow through on him or follow through with them. And so therefore, not really my fault. Kind of like, you remember Adam's accusation? Adam, what have you done? The woman which you gave to be with me, she took from the fruit and gave it to me and I ate. In other words, Lord, this somehow circles back to you. This isn't my fault, this is your fault. And this is a scripture verse that says, do not blame this on God. He can't, God does not lead you into temptation. He leads you into trial. He leads you into te testing, but he doesn't lead you into temptation. Temptation always hopes you fall. Trial always hopes you succeed. There's a huge difference there. God always wants you to succeed. And so let's go on. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now, let me, let me just break this down to you in the, in the original language. The word <coughs> tempted here um, is, 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 is in the present uh, tense. That means keeps being tempted. We have strongholds in our lives. And we have strongholds around us that will continue to influence us toward a certain kind of sin. And that's what this verb tense means. It, it's not a one-time thing. See if you can get over it. It is a continual, repeated temptation. Each one is tempted when he is carried away. The Greek word here literally means dragged. Temptations are that powerful for many of us. Dragged away and enticed. Greek word here is is one for decoy or bait. See, remember, Satan always uses deception. That's what a stronghold is, by the way. A stronghold is the illusion that you can, with your body or through a social transaction, fulfill a deep desire and you get to it and you realize it was all a trap because you're not fulfilled, you're hungrier than you ever were. Did I ever tell you about that daddy fish that was teaching his baby fish, son, when you're swimming and you see a big glob of worms just floating there? Watch out because it's got a hook in it. That's a stronghold enticed by his own lust. Now this word is epithuma, and, 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 and I, I'll get to it in a minute, but, but it's, it's not, lust isn't always bad. It means basically a passionate drive toward it. Well, let me just explain it to you now. When Jesus said, I have desired to eat this supper with you, that word is epithuma. I had a passion to eat this supper with you, this last supper. That's a good passion. That's in Luke, I think, uh, 22, 14. When, when it's, when in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, if anyone desires to be an overseer, that's a good thing. That's the word, 
of fulfillment. So it's not always a bad. You can desire good things and you can desire bad things. God wants us to be passionate people, but he wants our passion to be toward the right thing. All right, I'll circle back. I'll come back to that. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Remember that story I told you one time about the, the tarantula wasp that comes and lays his eggs in the tarantula? And then the larvae develop, sucking the life juices out of the tarantula, and the tarantula dies, and the enemies of the tarantula are birthed out of the dead body of its enemy. That's this sentence right here. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That's that verse. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. It says also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, but I say the things which the Gentiles sacrifice. Now, I want, I, want, I want to show you something here. You cannot use your body without having a spiritual effect. Your body is connected to your spirit. I, I, people try to divide these all the time. Well, it's just my body, you know? No, you're put together. You can't divide yourself. If your body is experiencing something, it has an effect on your spirit. Paul was telling the believers that food sacrificed to pagan idols, they couldn't eat that food. Why? Because he says, I say the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God, and I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You see, physical eating made them partners in a spiritual evil. So what we do with our bodies really has an effect on our spirits, on our souls. There's a connection there that cannot be separated. In 2 Peter 2.19, it says this, promising them freedom. This is talking about strongholds here. While they themselves are slaves of corruption for by what a man is overcome, this, by this he is enslaved. All right. So Boz Trevigian was here last night. Boz is uh, Billy Graham's like, oldest grandson. I love this guy. He's, uh, he's a lawyer who has this ministry, um, a godly response um, to children of exploitation or something like that. It, it trains churches how to guard against those who would prey on the vulnerable. And, 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 and we want to partner with this guy because as we're waking up to this, we've taken, I've got to tell you, we're, we're pretty paranoid about this anyhow. I mean, you can't even take a camera into the children's wing. I mean, we're, we're, I mean we have really good boundaries. But still, there's a lot that we can learn and there's a lot we need to learn. Boz said last night, do we understand <clears throat> that sexual exploitation, a child's sexual abuse, is 75 times 
more common than pediatric cancer. One out of four girls and one out of six boys, Boz says, will be sexually exploited by the time they're 18. That's amazing. Those are amazing numbers. And watch this. He said, the average number of lawsuits coming against religious institutions for sexual abuse, watch this, in Protestant churches. You know, everybody's up in arms about the Catholic church. Look in the mirror here, folks. 70 per week in this country. Now, what does this mean? This means we've got to open up our eyes, church. There are people who are sitting among us right now who have been sexually abused and exploited right now. And they need to know this is a safe place. They need to know this is a healing place. We're building a community that is a healing place. There are people who are trapped in a stronghold. They aren't the victims, they're the perpetrators. They are the demand side. And they need to know that this is not only a safe place, this is a healing place. Because God cares about everybody in this equation. He cares about the victims, of course. He cares about the perpetrators. He cares about the traffickers. God would not leave one of them behind. God so loved the world. And if that's true, that's who the church has to become. And so, what's the mentality we have to have? We have to switch our idea of where we're living. Do you remember the incident? Some of you are too young to remember this incident because it happened almost 30 years ago now. But Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines. I think it's on Luzon. I remember the island of Luzon because my father parachuted on Luzon in the Second World War. 1991, a volcano erupted that had been dormant for hundreds of years. It had been dormant for so long that people had begun to think, I'm not living on a volcano. I'm just living on the side of a mountain. It's a pretty mountain. When that volcano erupted, it killed over 700 people immediately. But watch this. For all who had lived around it for miles, those who survived came back to recover their living conditions and found them buried under many, 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 many feet of ash. It's not just the people who have been directly and immediately affected by exploitation. It's the people who have had their world destroyed because their world has been buried under the effect of that. Here's what we have to know. 
We have to know the difference between a mountain and a volcano. And in this culture, when it comes to sexual damage, we're living on a, voc on a volcano. It's only a matter of time before most of us will be affected. Someone we love will be affected. And the question is, what do I do? How do I respond? It's only a matter of time before you're put in a position, perhaps, of being tempted. What do I do? How do I respond? That's what we need to learn together. Let me go back to this passion thing. Can I do that for a second? Because this is part of how we deal with living on the side of a volcano. In my um, first church, before I got out of seminary, <clears throat> I, uh, um, I knew a guy. I, I want to tell you a story about two farmers. Okay, two farmers. Um, one was this guy, Becky will remember this guy, Chester Hubanks. By the time I knew this guy, he was a retired Methodist pastor, ears out to here. I'll never forget those guys' ears. It looked like a taxi cab with the doors open. I mean, it was just huge ears. And he was the sweetest gold guy. You know, as we get older, and I'm getting older, everything stops growing except the cartilage, you know? And the ears keep going, you know? So. My nose and ears, you're going to watch grow before your very eyes. Well, the rest of me shrinks. So, but here, you know, I, my, my office was right next to him. I was, a, I was the youth pastor, and he was the, I was a student pastor, and he was the, the, um, the visitation pastor. <laughs> you know, old people, and, and, I, and, I, and I just got to coach you. I'm going to get like this. Old people are just real straightforward. They just, they don't even care anymore. You know, they'll just say what they're thinking because their time's short and they got to get it out. And so I'd listen to him make these phone calls to first-time church visitors. And he'd call people up. This Reverend Eubanks, Southport United Methodist, you visited us yesterday, didn't you? He said, is it your first time? Well, that's what it says on the card here. And then he'd launch right into it. Do you believe in Jesus? I mean, first-time visitors. And then you'd go to, where well, do you want to join the church or don't you? And there were occasions when I heard him say, hello? Hello? Huh, line went dead. But I got to tell you, this guy had such a passion just for people. And including, and he wanted to, he, did, he, he didn't have a lot of time to beat around the bush. He just wanted to know how serious they were. And everybody who knew him loved him. I bet even the people who hung up on him thought, well, at least he got to the point. You know, he had a passion. There was another farmer. This was in our third church. Wonderful guy. Wonderful guy. He was a handsome young man. He just, he just had a lovely family, three beautiful kids and a beautiful wife. And, and every time it snowed, he'd come down and he'd plow the, you know, plow the church parking lot. And, and he was always doing things for people, always doing things for people. But a couple of years into the relationship, I noticed he was kind of kidding around about Playboy. Back then, Playboy was the big deal, you know? 
and making jokes that were just a little off color. And I'd say his name. I'd say, don't, don't go there with me. You know, I, I don't go there. Oh. But I, tell, I, told, I could tell he was developing a passion. Sure enough, after we left that church, he had left his family because he got trapped in that passion. So passion is a neutral thing depending on what your passion is for. It's either, it's never a neutral thing, I'm sorry. It's a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what your pa passion's for. So here's, here's the deal. So where do we wanna go with this? As we address this, how do we wanna address this? First of all, we have to address this with clarity and with knowledge and with a strategy of what really will help people. We have to admit that which makes us very uncomfortable. And we have to understand the damage that it does. And we have to be able to spot it. We're gonna train you how to spot the telltale signs of, this, of sexual exploitation. So you've gotta open your eyes. You've gotta open your eyes. And it's not in order to accuse, it's in order to save. Remember, our enemy is the accuser. Our savior is the savior. And so, on behalf of him, we want to become more aware of that which is around us. We want to become better trained so that we can offer the appropriate next step toward love and respect and a life that is set free. Part of that will come in having the right materials and we're gonna be doing this in the months to come. I just wanna give you a heads up. But part of it is about keeping our eyes on what's more important to us than our own comfort. See, we, we tend to come to church so that our lives can get better. But can I tell you in the spirit of Jesus that our lives getting better depends on us making other people's lives better. It says this in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Can I just give you a hint on how not to get out of sin? Don't concentrate on your sin. As soon as you start focusing on your sin, that becomes more powerful in your life than your power to overcome it. There's a difference between possession and obsession. All right? Possession, if you, if, if, if for those few cases, there are very few cases in which people are demon-possessed. That calls for a very concentrated, knowledgeable effort to cast out those demons. And so you do have to concentrate. Oppression, on the other hand, calls for, watch this, not being preoccupied with what's wrong, but being focused on what's right. 
not trying to quit, but focusing on what's more important than your continual involvement on what's taking you down. And so, 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You know, the only way, and I've said this to you many times, and I'll keep saying it until you can say it to me every time you say it. The only thing that is going to get you out of your deepest sin is by loving someone else more than you love that sin. By someone else who means more to you than that sin means to you. We will never quit a sin for our own good. We won't. But we will quit a sin in order to have someone else's life turn out all right. I'm going to close with this story. It's one of my favorite stories of all. And I don't think most of you have heard it, but it illustrates perfectly my point. It's one of the few regrets I have in my whole life. True story. When I was a little kid, <clears throat> I lived on Seltzer Street, Shelby, Ohio. And back then, all the neighborhood gang just played all day. That's just what we, I mean, the, our, our mother had a, had a child rearing, our mothers had a child rearing philosophy, go outside and play. That was it. And, and so we went outside all day. We'd swoop back in for a little slice of bologna and then go out again and not go in again until it was night. Now in our neighborhood, we had, every, every, every neighborhood has a bully. Practically every neighborhood has a bully. We had one in our neighborhood, his name was Red Bricker. And, 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 and Red was one of these kind of pre-mafia bosses, you know? He would tear you up unless you were one of his gang and then he would protect you. So you learn real fast, you know, I, you know, I wanna go along with the program here, you know, because there are probably worse bullies that I'll need Red's protection for. So every night we would play, it was almost every night, we'd play kick the can. For those of you who don't know what kick the can is, it's a game where there's a can kind of set in the middle of the yard maybe 10 feet from a, from a tree. And it's like hide and go seek, you know. Whoever is it counts and everybody runs and hides. And then they try to come in and kick the can. And if the person who is it sees them, all they've got to say is one, two, three on so-and-so and that person has to go to jail, which means they have to go to the tree and put their hand on the tree and stay there until somebody kicks the can. And so, Red always wanted to be it. Not only because by this time, he always insisted we play in his yard. Because he knew every hiding place in his yard. And so there had to be a dozen of us trying to find a new place to hide. And every time somebody ran in to kick the can, Red sometimes would say, one, two, three on so-and-so, and we'd have to go to jail, but sometimes he'd just clothesline us. And we'd be laying down on the ground, and he'd step on us, one, two, three, oh, go to jail. So we'd get up and stagger to jail. So this is like the umpteenth night of playing kick the can. And you're desperate 
for some place red has never seen to hide. I came up with it. I had never seen it before. I don't know why I'd never seen it before. In his backyard, probably 20 feet from where he usually puts the can, was a pine tree that was so thick no normal person could stand up in the midst of it. You know how pine trees are. They're just full of branches, these full pine trees. And then they got these little shoots coming out. Well, nobody can stand, they can hide under it. There'd been many people who would hide under it. But nobody, nobody could. But I was, look at me. I used to be smaller than I am now. And so I look at this pine tree and I thought, I'm going to give this a shot. So he's counting. And I run under this pine tree and I climb up and there's just all these branches that are jabbing me and all that kind of stuff. And I climb on the lowest branch so he can't see my feet. And, I, and I'm in the middle of the pine tree now. And it's perfect. It's so full. He can't possibly see me. And by this time, as the night goes on, as the early evening goes on, he's caught everyone, injured half of them. <laughs> and they are all at the tree. But they notice, I'm not caught yet. And so they start calling out my name. Joey, save us. Well, Red is getting madder and madder because he can't find me. So he's starting to get a little risky, pacing up and down, pacing across, away from the, the can, you know, saying, Hunter, you better come out now, boy. I'll just, I, if, you, if you come out now, I won't injure you. But if you don't come out, I'm going to injure you. Well, I'm... A little scared but I hear the voices save us <laughs> only you can save us it's getting darker and darker and the mothers are starting to call with the first name nobody goes in at the first name everybody knows that everybody knows you don't go at the first name by the way, when you finally do go in, what do you always say to your mother? I could see perfectly fine. It's dark out. It's not dark out. It wasn't dark out. I could see perfectly fine. And she says, turn around and look. And you look, and it's pitch black out. <laughs> Let me tell you about something, something about sin. It comes on so gradually that your eyes dilate to the point where it doesn't look dark. You wonder why people don't know they're in the darkness? You never know how dark the dark is till you come into the light. They're unaware. Well, let me get back to the story. So the mothers are calling. And now they're using the first and the last name. Now I've got to think, because I know pretty soon they're going to use the middle name. And when you use the middle name, you go in. Because the next thing is a paddle. Everybody knows that. I've got to think. Red's getting farther and farther from that can. 
And so two thoughts enter my mind. Number one, I can risk, I can risk kicking that can and setting people free. I've got these teeny little legs. He's got these huge, long legs. Maybe I can outrun him. Maybe I can be the hero. Maybe he'll catch me and beat me up. Or, second thought, no one in the history of Seltzer Avenue, Shelby, Ohio, has ever won a game of kick the can by not being discovered. If I stay in that tree, I will go down in the history of the neighborhood as the only one who ever actually won. And I'll be safe. Sure enough, the mother started using the middle name. And one by one, the kids went in. And eventually, even Red went in. And I stepped out of that tree. I kept safe. It's one of the few regrets I've had in my whole life. There are people who are saying, I need your help. You can stay safe. You can win as far as the world is concerned. But that's not why we're still here. We aren't here just to get cleaned up. We're here to help. And especially help those who are captive, who are bruised. Pray with me. Lord, help us remember who you are. You didn't stay safe in heaven. You stepped out, taking the form of a servant. You came down to suffer among those who were suffering. Make your church like you. Make us be that community that lives our life not to be safe, but to be helpful. Not to be condemning, but to be loving. Not to be alone, but to be the healing community that you have called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? We have a prayer team down here after every service. If you're on the Longwood campus, if you're not, uh, your prayer minister online is Bill Gary. And those of you who are uh, meeting in different facilities have people who will pray for you there. For some of you, we have raised some pretty painful memories tonight. And you may need to just come down and stand with someone. Some of you have 
other business you need to do with God and you just need to come down and pray with somebody and we'd love for you to do that. Remember next Sunday, this seems like a, a lighter note, the picnic after the 11 o'clock service, but that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a community where people just get to know each other, enjoy each other, and have healthy relationships instead of unhealthy relationships. So you're invited to that. In the name of God the Father, and of God the Son, and of God the Holy Spirit, go from this place and remember why you're still here. Amen.